I don't think indoor gyms and stuff are open. No, sir. Not in Ontario. Man, Quebec's wild west. Like every single thing is open. Like kids are still going to school. Like I actually only have to wear a mask in my obviously outside, but like besides that, I don't notice a difference anymore. Man, that's great. <laughs> yeah. We can dive I mean, in. Yeah, I've heard. We have a friend who's coming from Montreal this weekend. Mm-hmm. And uh so she was asking for like places to eat and stuff. And Vic had to remind her that Ontario only has outdoor dining right now. <laughs> She's like, what the fuck? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, man. We we suck. What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to the Hoops Corner. I'm your host, Peter Tran. And on the line, the banger in the paint, our residential medical expert, Rajan Walia. How are you feeling? You know what? Uh, the Clippers are in the Western Conference Finals, so what a time to be alive. The curse is over, man. Can you believe it? I, I, I kind of believe it's all photoshopped. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, seeing how this year's NBA playoffs and how it's all played out, I think uh, people are going to call this Mickey Mouse Ring Part 2. <laughs> I like that. And The sequel. There you go. And today, it's just a duet today, Raj. Uh, we're... We're lacking one member on, who's currently on new baby daddy duty. So, shouts out to the Iceman, Josh Cohen. Congratulations on the kid. But, you know, we got to truck on. Can't, can't just wait for this guy. Who knows how long he's going to take Pat leave for. I told him to get back to work, but, uh, you know, I think I was overruled by his other boss. You know what? Uh, congrats to Josh, but uh, the NBA and the show must go on. So we're recording this on Tuesday morning. It's around 10.30 on uh, June 22nd. And we literally had one night off in the past month, right, Raj? Like, one night of no games, no double headers. It was legit, just like a night off. For everyone to soak in how poorly the Philadelphia 76ers handled this Atlanta Hawks team. Uh, we went into this series, everyone thought it would be... Sixers and five, Sixers and six. No one gave the Hawks a real chance. Even after we found out that Joel Embiid was going to play on a minutely torn meniscus, whatever that means, everyone still thought, hey, Embiid's in there. They're just going to rock him. Who's going to be able to handle Embiid? Ben Simmons should be able to post up Trey Young so easily. Dude's like six feet tall. Ben Simmons is 6'11". Easy dunks ahead of him. No problem. And uh, no, that was not the case. <laughs> The Sixers blew two 24-point leads in games four and five, and then they lost in seven. So we're talking about a Hawks team that came into Philly and won three times. Philadelphia was literally booed off the court by their own fans. I mean, this is just magical. I don't even know where to start. Like, the first thing we have to talk about is how poorly Ben Simmons played, right? Like, it's so glaring. Not only do you have a guy who gave up like a wide-open dunk down the stretch of a fourth quarter in Game 7. But he was a complete no-show throughout the rest of the fourth quarters, too. Yeah, like, this this series was kind of uh, the Ben Simmons coming-out party, and this is not the good coming-out. This is not the entering star to superstar status. It was kind of um, going from a potential rising star to maybe this guy is never going to live up to his potential. Um, and obviously, he's still really young, but... That game seven, and more importantly, that whole series, like he was not productive the entire series. He's the Sixers' second best player, and arguably he was unplayable. 
um, in the second half of games. And whether it was his poor free throw shooting, he shot 34% from the free throw line in the NBA playoffs this year. He has more misses as an individual than some of the teams left in the, in the playoffs <laughs> from the free throw line. And uh, he took three shots in the fourth quarter in the entire series. And he was 100%, but he went two for two, I think, in game one, one for one in game three, and didn't shoot a single shot in the rest of the games in the fourth quarter. So it just shows that a, a player who is expected to get to the rim, have some penetration, take advantage of some mismatches, um, he, he wasn't able to do that. And uh, obviously people are going to look at um, him as the scapegoat, but I think there's enough blame to go around. Um, surprise, surprise, Doc Rivers doesn't perform in a closeout game again. Um, <laughs> I think the lack of adjustments is, is something else. My brother texted me insisting that we call him Glenn from now on. He's lost all nickname privileges. How about that? <laughs> yeah, it, you know what? It, like he's like Glenn Big Baby Davis, if um, if anything. But he's definitely he's he's lost his license. I think we have to promote Nick Nurse. Oh yeah, there you go. Ben Simmons, you, you want to hear this crazy stat? Ben Simmons had less fourth quarter shots in this series than Danny Green. Danny wow. Green played in one game and had more yeah, fourth quarter checks shots. Out. Yeah, Ben Simmons. Shooting a crazy percentage of 0 for 0 for, I think, 3 or 4 games in this series. And the other series, like, dude, if you're in the dunker spot, come on, man. Like, just catch the ball and go up. It's pretty simple, but it's really easy to see. Like, the guy just lacks confidence, right? It, it seems like, you know, over the offseason and every for the past two or three years, we've seen all the mixtapes of him, you know, at random LA runs, getting shots up, getting those threes up that everyone... Get so hyped up about. I got hyped up about it. I'm not going to lie. I had the Sixers going to the finals this year. So, obviously. And then the guy just, like... He just refuses to shoot. It's unbelievable. And not only does he refuse to shoot. He just gets in other people's way. Yeah, it's... Like, exactly what you said about... Him really doing nothing on the offensive end. Like, if you watch the game even as a casual... You see a point guard who dribbles the ball up. And, uh, obviously, his handles are quite good for a player who's 6'10". But... He passes that ball as quick as he can as soon as he crosses half court because he doesn't want to get hacked. Yeah. It's sad. Even on like fast breaks, he'll just give it up to Embiid. Like, dude, you're the ball handler and you're giving up to giving it to Embiid at like half court? What are you doing? And, and and the worst part about it is once he passes that ball off, he goes and chills in the dunker spot and there's no movement. There's no cutting, there's no peeling back to get the ball and restart the offense or running a pick and roll. There's none of that. It's just chilling in the dunker spot. And it makes the defense's job a lot easier because they know where you're going to be. They know that they can offer help. And if they need to recover, if somehow you end up with the ball, they know you're never going to put it up. So they just have to worry about passing lanes. And again, like the Sixers lost. It's not just Ben Simmons. I think the fact that Doc was unable to make any adjustments uh, and especially that game five, when they were had such a big lead, I, I think, what was it, 22, 26 points? Something like that. 24, 25, yeah. Somewhere in that range. Yeah, and and to lose that game, that isn't on Ben Simmons. That is on Doc Rivers, not making adjustments, trusting his guys way too much. And, and I think with Doc Rivers, the knock on him is he's a, play, uh, he's a coach that has the players' respect. But in terms of X's and O's, he's not in the top 10 or 15 level of coaches. And in terms of adjustments, he's in the bottom five. 
Oh, for I I think so too. Uh, I mean, the one time he won, right in Boston, he had Thibodeau as his main assistant coach, who obviously got promoted to coaching the Bulls a couple of years later. But ever since that year, I mean, Doc has without Kevin Garnett, without Paul Pierce, without Ray Allen, Rajon Rondo, like that core group, Doc's been pretty underwhelming as a coach on his own. So. I don't know, man. Like, I, I understood the bringing him in for the hype. I thought that he could bring out something more out of Simmons because he is the kind of coach that, you know, instills confidence in his players, right? I don't know if you remember this, but when he was in L.A., he was trying to hype up DeAndre Jordan as the best defensive center since Bill Russell. I mean, major stretch, but we understand what you're doing, right? Like, you're hyping up your own guy. You're giving them confidence. And at the time, DeAndre was getting a lot of praise to be like all defensive team kind of center. For Ben Simmons, it could have been the same thing if he had confidence in himself. Yeah, and ultimately, like uh, I hate to go back to 2008, but um, it's hard to ignore the fact that even in that run, he had to beat the eighth seed Atlanta Hawks in seven games. (laughs) Then they ended up playing the Cleveland Cavs, obviously with LeBron James, and they had to beat him in seven games, and they were able to beat Detroit in six. But it wasn't like an easy path um, to the finals for a team that was probably the most dominant team in the East, dumb being the number one seed. Yeah. So um, I, I think with I think with Doc Rivers, I think he doesn't get the best out of his players. And that has to do with X's and O's and also um, making sure that they're being pushed. But at the same time, he does one thing that's really good is he makes star players feel comfortable, feel relaxed. And ultimately in the playoffs, that doesn't seem to work. I think you need someone that pushes them a little, pushes their buttons, knows how to get them going, keeps them hungry. Because ultimately, like Ben Simmons got paid and that's what how he played. He looked like a player that, hey, I got 170 million reasons to be here, but winning a championship isn't one. Oh, man. Remember a few years ago when Ben Simmons and Jamal Murray signed their contract in the same offseason? Like, I think like a week apart or a few days apart. And everyone was like, oh, why is Jamal Murray getting that kind of money? Ben Simmons is going to be a future multi-time all-star, blah, 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 blah. Who would you rather have now? I I think uh, most teams would rather have uh, Jamal Murray with one ACL. (laughs) Oh, man, that's harsh. Uh, We got to give some praise to the Hawks here, right? In that game seven specifically, uh, Red Velvet, what a what a nickname for this kid. Kevin Herter just abused the 76ers defense. Another, you know, clear Doc Rivers non-adjustment here, but Seth Curry just could not handle Kevin Herter in the paint. This guy was doing skyhooks like he was Kareem. And is there a... Okay, let me ask you. Was there a player more confident in this series than Trey Young? Because even in that game seven, he was ice cold, couldn't hit a thing. But when that fourth quarter came around, you saw him hit a floater easily in the paint, and you saw him hit a big three down the stretch. Like, that dude has balls, no matter what you want to say about him. Yeah, and uh, Trey Young showed up. Like, he's been showing up in New York against the Knicks, and this series, he was huge, especially in Game 7. He didn't have a great game, but I think ultimately that's what makes good players great players, is when you're not hitting your shots, you don't shy away from taking them later in the game when a lot is on the line, and... Um, he was a huge influence on the outcome of this game in the fourth quarter, despite shooting like four for 17 or something throughout the game. Um, and ultimately, uh, the, the, I think the difference is, and we talked about this off air, is 
When you have a big that's your best player, it's a little harder for him to get into the positions that make him dangerous. Like, like Embiid got the ball stolen with uh, Gallinari, and he was trying to get to his spot. With point guards and wing players, it's easier for them to control when they get the ball to get to their spots. And I would say Embiid was very confident, but I would not have confidence after seeing Ben Simmons pass up that shot and Doc Rivers uh, making these poor adjustments. So um, Trey Young has balls. Good for him because the Atlanta Hawks were the 15th seed when Embiid and Ben Simmons were together and they were all about this process and they had just made the playoffs and... They went from the 15th seed in the East to making the Eastern Conference Finals before Philly did. Crazy, man. Shouts to the Hawks. This is a, a very impressive young team. And this is without DeAndre Hunter. Cam Reddish is, is hurt as well. Like, It's not like they're not banged up. So you saw guys like... Uh, sorry. You saw guys like, obviously, Trey Young. I mentioned Kevin Herter stepping up. John Collins had an incredible series. You know, John Collins wearing that shirt of him dunking on Embiid with the chokehold is... Such a good troll. Like, that was an Embiid-level troll. Uh, you know, just shouts to the Hawks, man. Your boy Clint Capella with his stubs. Clearly not stubbing anymore. The guy still can't hit a free throw, but who cares? Because uh, all, all he does is dunk. He's literally doing what DeAndre Jordan did in LA, right? Shouts to Chris Paul and Doc Rivers from, like, six years ago. Yeah, yeah, but uh, that's what Simmons should be doing. But, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, let's uh, let's move on to the other series in the East before we go to the finals. Uh, we can hit this quick, right? Bucks and Nets, we thought would be the the series that you know would be the the quote unquote finals before the finals. This would lead out to the you know the main contender for the championship, and the Bucks eked it out literally in an overtime of Game Seven, which is crazy rare. We, I think it happens like once every couple of decades that we see something like that, and. You know, the, it wouldn't have happened if KD just wore shoes that fit him properly. He often sizes up. The guy's like, let's say he's a 15 and a half. He goes to 16 every time. He just likes that little bit of space. And that little bit of space is all he needed to not be, to not step on the line. But that long two is a long two. They go to overtime and, yo, KD was gassed. Like he had nothing left in the tank. Obviously, Harden is playing on one leg. He afterwards he said he had like a grade two hamstring hamstring strain, which I'm assuming is obviously quite bad, Raj. Yep. So yeah. I'm at sports medicine, and uh, they they take weeks, not uh, not one or two weeks, but more like four or six weeks to really fully recover. Yeah, and you could see it. Like the guy looked like he was in no condition to actually play NBA basketball. Dude looked like he could barely run at the Y, let alone in an actual NBA game, right? But the the Bucks pulled it off. You know, Drew Holiday was ice cold in Game Seven. Pulled off some crazy shots at the end. I think he had uh, that big three, a floater, and a little mid range pull up. Chris Middleton showed up in Game Seven, which was great. And you know, your boy Giannis banked in a three in Game Seven. Finally stopped shooting a lot of threes, which was nice. Like actually got to the hole, and the Bucks advanced. Yeah, that that was a that was a crazy series. I think with that series overall it's always a question of what if um like the nets obviously had never their full lineup and in the playoffs you sometimes can expect players to be banged up but you don't really expect both your second and third best player in harden and Kyrie to be injured and even when harden could come back we're not seeing the harden that we know um and especially the nets they're so such a top heavy team um when you lose those players you're not going to have the depth and 
it's also easy to forget that they don't even have Spencer Dimwitty, who's on their roster, but um, yep. is uh, currently rehabbing from an ACL. And I think this series could have gone down as one of the better second round series ever if Bud was a better coach and <laughs> if um, the the Nets actually had Harden and Kyrie. Because ultimately, Milwaukee probably should have won this series in five or six games just given the injuries um and they just honestly they they're still not hitting their stride they're still making i would say poor decisions Giannis can't be the primary ball handler um he's still initiating too much of the offense when you have now two players that probably can initiate the offense a lot better with uh, chris middleton and and drew holiday and um defensively they're they're good but the reason they lost this game is not because they outplayed the Brooklyn Nets. It's because KD had to play 50-some minutes, 53 minutes, every minute of Game 6 and every minute of Game 7, and he was gassed. I think that's ultimately what it was. Um, they had two points in overtime, just two points. Um, the Nets did, so, right? Yeah, the Nets. Yeah, that was off a of Bruce so, Brown like, put-back layup thing. Where uh, yeah, Blake exactly. Griffin threw Giannis to the floor. <laughs> uh, exactly, yeah. KD played every minute in Game 5 and Game 7, not Game 6. Game 6, they got, okay. uh, I think they lost by like 10 or 11, so no need. But yeah, yeah Game 5 and Game apologies. 7, he he willed them to victory in Game 5. Like They had no like no business winning those games if KD wasn't KD. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and ultimately, like... Um, that the Nets should be the favorites next year to win it all. It, it all comes down to injuries. I think any NBA fan knows that if they had Kyrie Irving, and even if they had what they had of James Harden in the last three games, they probably would have won uh, this series. Yeah, yeah. Kyrie being out was the major one, right? Like just anyone to be a ball handler other than KD, and also you know someone to hit shots because uh, Joe Harris ain't hit shit. Yeah, he was uh, he was three for nine. It it wasn't a horrible performance. It's not like he went uh, zero for nine. Like three for nine. It's it's if he made one more shot, he would have shot, um, like his average. But ultimately, they lost in a four point game, and uh, it came down on the wire. So it was a good series, and honestly, the Bucks are. I think they're going to underperform against again <laughs> against the Hawks. Like it'll be another tight oh, series, man. but it doesn't yeah. need to be. <laughs> All right, let's get into it now. Then the Bucks are favored by. Well, they're minus 500 to win the series, Raj. And uh, you know as well as I do, minus 500, those are... No one's taking those odds. Let's be real. Yo, um, I'm taking Atlanta plus 300 if that's the yeah, case. Yeah, man. Pound that. Why not? Yeah. What's going to happen in the series is that Milwaukee's going to throw a, di- a bunch of different looks at the Hawks, right? Like, you're going to have Drew Holiday, who's one of the best defensive guards in the league, on Trey Young constantly. And it's not going to be like in game one of Philly where Doc had... Danny Green on Trey Young and he just blew by him every time. You know Drew Holiday is picking up immediately in game one. And on the other end, he's going to body Trey Young. Right? Unless they put him on, unless they put Trey Young on someone like Pat Connaughton when he's on the floor. But that's about it. The Bucks have a big team. And Trey Young, like, what should have happened in the Philly series is that they got to target Trey Young as much as possible. And I know you, I know your offensive strategy is always to to attack the weakest defender and attack like the bigger stars to get them in foul trouble. You get Trey Young with like a foul or two in the first quarter, man, that ruins their whole offense. 
Yeah, I, I think I think Atlanta is going to have some big problems uh, on the defensive end. I think they'll be able to score. They've shown in the playoffs that they have multiple people that can put the ball in the basket, whether it's Bogdanovich, Herder. Um, they obviously have Clint Capella catching some lobs, John Collins. Like, they have enough scoring. Um, I think the big difference is having Drew Holiday. Like, I, I can foresee a situation like when there was New Orleans Pelicans against the Portland Trailblazers, and it was like Dame versus Drew. Yeah. And Drew just shut that shit down. Um, <laughs> like I, I think I can foresee a similar situation. I think Trey Young's going to have a lot of uh, tough time getting into the paint, uh, and he's always going to have a hand in his face. And especially on the defensive end, like I, I, I'm going to ask you this question: If you're playing a lineup against Brooke Lopez, Giannis, Chris Middleton, Drew, and um, it's probably going to be PJ Tucker, and who? Like, who does Trey pick up? Who does Bogdanovich pick up? Like, it, it, it... But I don't I don't really mind Bogdanovich on defense. Like, he's... Like, he can hold his own. I'm not really concerned about that. But Trey Young is the clear, like... Is the clear liability, right? Like, the guy was... Trey Young was, like, the worst defender in the league for a couple of years, statistically. And you're, you're gonna... You're looking at a team who's a lot smarter than the 76ers were. And, like I said, like, Drew's just gonna pick on him nonstop. Because you're gonna have like let's let's imagine you have Capella or yeah Capella covering either Brooke or Giannis, John Collins covering the other person right so like the bigs are matched up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gallinari slash Bogdanovich on Chris Middleton, and PJ Tucker. There's only Trey and Drew left realistically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's not mu- there's not much you can like that he can really do other than pick up Drew and hope that he just settles for jumpers. Yeah, but I, I think the issue is I think Giannis is clearly um, a, a mismatch for John Collins. Like, I think John Collins obviously is athletic and fast, but I think Giannis is just a bit too strong and a bit too physical for the style of play. And ultimately, I I also foresee a situation where if they ever get uh, a Drew Holiday and Brooke Lopez uh, pick and roll going, I think that's nightmares for um the Atlanta Hawks because it's either Drew Holiday is going to go one-on-one against Clapella inside or if they ever do switch then Brooke Lopez is finally going to back down um Trey Young and uh, pretty much toss him in the paint um so I I think they're going to have defensive problems uh the Hawks but ultimately this Brooklyn Nets uh, sorry not Brooklyn Nets this Milwaukee Bucks (laughs) team is underperforming and I don't think they're a smarter team. I think they're going to end up in a lot of stupid situations where Giannis is going to dribble the ball up against John Collins and and people are going to be yelling, like, why do you have the ball at the top of the key? Like, that's not yeah. where you should have it. Yeah. There's this weird trend that, like, every player that's coming up wants to be like LeBron. You know what I mean? Like, everyone wants to be the ball handler <laughs> that can pass, that can score, and do this and that. But, like, you know your strengths. Know that you're a better in the post. Know that you're a, an amazing pick and roll guy and just going downhill right just know your role like you're one of the best at going to the net don't don't settle for jumpers don't settle for your nasty threes that take like five seconds to launch like what's the point Giannis's threes are as long like take as long to launch as like our boy maxims you know that slow catapult release yeah it's like a free throw it's like 10 seconds you know that's why he needs he needs the full shot clock but I just think of that game where Clay Thompson had like 36 points and he had like three dribbles or something crazy like that. Yeah. 
I think Giannis needs to adopt that kind of attitude. Obviously, he's not shooting threes, but he needs to limit, like, his dribbles should be less than his field goal attempts. Interesting. Like, Interesting. like you you want him. Like, I, I'm still surprised that this doesn't happen more often, but I think they need to run some action without Giannis in it and just have Giannis slashing. Yeah. Because his catchment area, like, this guy's 6'11". He probably reaches up to, like, 7'7", seven, 7'8". Seven, seven, yeah. Maybe even taller, probably even yep. much higher. <laughs> and you throw the ball to him, he catches, and he just goes at the rim. Like, yeah. someone's going to foul him. Um, and obviously, you don't want him shooting that many free throws. But, hey, you know what? You're getting great looks at the rim. And he's not scared. Right? Yeah, like, exactly. He, he's willing to go to the line, which is much more than we can say about other players that we've already destroyed on this, on this podcast. On the other hand, though, optimistically for the, for the Hawks, they're going to have a lot of looks in the mid-range. Uh, Trey Young has the most floaters in the league by far. Like That guy is way ahead of anyone else in terms of floaters shot this year, uh, per game, overall, whatever numbers you want to look at. And that's exactly what the Bucks give up. right? Like The Bucks' the whole defense was to run off the three and run off the paint, or and clog the paint. That's why they have so many bigs. That's why they have more athletic perimeter players. But their whole offense is just, you know, if you want to take a mid-range jumper, if you want to take a floater, go ahead. And that's exactly how Trey Young is going to eat this series. Like, no doubt. But hey, he has to get by Drew Holiday, and um, that's honestly the, the chess piece, and that's the queen. It's not Giannis in this chessboard. It's <laughs> The queen is uh, Drew here, and uh, I think he's going to be attacking on both ends, and he shut down Dame Lillard when everyone had that Portland Trailblazers team beating the Pelicans, and obviously they're probably they're the favorites here. But I think he's going to shut down uh, Trey, and he takes great pride in it. He's not going to get involved in those uh, bickering and trash talk. Like he's going to mind his own business. He's going to get down to it, and I think Trey's going to be really frustrated. He's going to have a lot of like seven for twenty games, seven for twenty three games, because um, I think Drew's just going to push him around not let him get to his spots make the catches difficult so uh i honestly getting to predictions i think the bucks will win this series but again it'll be six grinding games <laughs> not very confident eh no uh yeah i the bucks are at home right uh give me five bucks and five I have faith. Oh, wow okay i like i like drew i like what drew and pj tucker bring to this team a little bit of uh not giving an F about anything, Ness. You know, Drew. Drew really showed me in that in that game seven that like, dude doesn't give a damn if he's ice cold. He's still gonna shoot, which is great. Like every every championship level team needs that kind of guy. Needs that kind of leader. So I I like it. On the other side of the NBA, we have the Western Conference. Do we want to talk about these last series? The Clippers beating out the Jazz, who just completely no-showed. Terrence Mann had the game of his life, just chopping up Defensive Player of the Year, Rudy Gobert, in uh, not even a Game 7, Raj, a Game 6. So the Jazz needed this game to stay alive, and Quinn Snyder pulled a bud, our favorite, our favorite lack of in-game adjustments, and just let Rudy Gobert stay on the floor, got his ass, literally walked off the court. Like, I don't know how else to say this. Terrence Mann just blew by him every time he shot... His corner threes, every time he was open, he hit them, and that was it for the Jazz, man. Live and die by Rudy Gobert. Yeah, I think the the difference, and I do want to talk about this, I think the interesting thing about 
the Jazz choking compared to the Sixers. They're both number one seeds. But I think in the Sixers situation, we have a player that just really underperformed. Uh, and obviously the series overall, like there's no excuses there. I think with the Jazz though, that 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 it's a whole different story. I think you can blame Gobert for getting picked on. They shot 12 for 15 over him in the fourth quarter alone, or not fourth quarter, in the second half alone. Um, 75% against the, de- the defensive player of the year. But I think a lot more goes to against kind of Quinn Snyder and their whole defensive scheme. At a certain point, you need to be able to adjust. And it, 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 I know Josh would love to hear this. Like, it's a numbers game. It, the law of averages. It, it usually works out. But yes, it works out if you play ten or fifteen games, or if you're looking at a large sample size. But when you have Terrence Mann who's shooting like seventy percent from three. Uh, and you have the Clippers who are literally just shooting as a team, I think, 75% from three. Um, <laughs> you have to do something different. Like, you can't just be like, oh, there's going to start missing. They're just going to start. And if they played that game for another three quarters, I'm sure they might have start, started missing. But their whole defense is predicated on the fact that their perimeter players force everyone to Rudy Gobert. And then Rudy Gobert has to rotate. And that leaves a man open. And this man was Terrence Mann, and he fucking was shooting lights out. And honestly, I, I blame Quinn Snyder and that defensive scheme and the lack of adjustments there. Um, but uh, that was something else. And good on the Clippers. They got rid of the curse. The Clippers shot 51% from three that game. 51. Like, that is insane. From the field, they shot 56.5%. Like, I- 75% in, in the second half, I think, from three. I wouldn't, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all, actually. That would make a lot more sense because all of it came in the third quarter when Terrence Mann, I think he hit like three or four corner threes in the span of four minutes. Like, did you ever think to put on somebody else instead of Rudy Gobert? Did you ever think of putting in Derek Favors to be able to run him off the line? Did you ever think of going small like the the Clippers were? Because even on, like, the whole point is that you can, you can use your size in a mismatch, right? Like, you pound the ball to Rudy, you run pick and roll with him. They didn't even do that, right? Like Rudy was a complete no-show that whole game. Yeah, and and you you were not getting anything from Rudy. He wasn't de- uh, destroying the Clippers on the defensive end or on the offensive end. He wasn't getting crazy amount of offensive rebounds. Uh, and ultimately, um, you're also playing Mike Connolly on a bum hamstring, and they were playing Mike so tight they were giving him no space uh, and asking him to blow by. Uh, them and on that bum hamstring like James Harden he's not going to have the same level of explosiveness uh, so ultimately I think it was just a few coaching mistakes and Donovan Mitchell probably is going to have to look at this Jazz organization and say you know what I'm going to give it one more year because we know the Jazz are just going to run it back like they're going <laughs> to run it back with the same team like they have Jordan Clarkson a great six man of the year um, obviously, Gobert is still a very, very solid defensive center. Um, they might add one new like stretch four, right? Someone who can they could play small with. But ultimately, like if I'm Donovan Mitchell, I don't want to go through the same cycle two or three years in a, a row. And they've committed to Rudy, so I think he might have to look elsewhere after next season if they don't have any uh, better outcomes. Rudy Gobert was a minus twenty-four for this game 
Like plus minus tells you doesn't tell you everything, but uh, minus twenty four is brutal. <laughs> That's all I can really say. Tells you enough. Played forty two minutes and was minus twenty four. On the other hand, Terrence Mann plus eight thirty nine points in thirty six minutes. Our boy Nicholas Batum though, Raj, sixteen <laughs> points in game seven or game six. Sorry, yeah. our guy. Yeah, man. well, you know what he 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 might make it to uh, the NBA Finals and. If if he makes it as a starting player in the NBA Finals, I think we may have to get a Batum jersey. Oh, I'm so down. I'm so down. <laughs> uh, I don't want to linger on this too much because, you know, it was a while ago, but uh, the Suns swept out my Denver Nuggets. Nikola Jokic goes out in a blaze of glory, hacking campaign across the face while trying to get after a ball. Eh, it was a weak, weak flagrant, too, in my mind. I think everyone else said the same thing, so... We don't need to linger on that, man. The Suns are, are a great team. They were clearly a lot better. And going into this final in this and going into this Western Conference Finals, you have a Phoenix Suns team who is missing Chris Paul due to COVID protocol. He tested positive, even though he's tested negative afterwards. They won't let him out for ten days. And then on the other hand, you have uh, an LA Clippers team who's just indefinitely without Kawhi Leonard. Their best player, their superstar, right? He's out with a quad injury? Is that correct? A right knee strain. Right knee strain. A right knee strain. Ah, yes. Yeah. His quad injury was from San Antonio days. My bad. Anyways, mm-hmm. so we're looking at two teams lacking their... Well, the Clippers are lacking their best player. The Suns are arguably lacking their best player. Maybe second best. 1A, 1B kind of deal. Going into game one, no one really knew what to expect, right? Like, we thought maybe the Suns would come out a little bit slow. Maybe... the the Clippers are riding high. Who knows? And uh, the Suns pulled it out. 120 to 114 in game one. We're recording this before game two, so I'm not really sure what happens tonight. But, yo, Devin Booker is an animal. Uh, in that third quarter, he had 16 straight points for the Suns. Like, I, I haven't seen someone score with such ease in a long time, man. This kid is special. He is really fun to watch, especially because the elevation he gets on his shot... Um, the separation he's able to get with really no push-off, no LeBron garbage. Um, and he, he can really shoot it from anywhere. Yeah, like he can get, he can shoot his threes, he can get into the mid-range, he can get to the rim, he can finish at the rim. Um, and honestly, like for young players, if they're looking to improve their game or find a player to root for, like I think Booker's the package, like... Uh, obviously, he takes a large volume of shots, but he gets good looks. Yeah, and he his form is good. And I honestly like that game one. I think the nice thing about the series is Kawhi and CP3 are out. It's not like one team is missing one of their star players and the other team is fully healthy. And yeah. I really do hope that both players do return, and I hope they return at the same time, so we get to see a good Western Conference Finals. Because um, you know what, it'd be nice to see. Uh, a, Chris Paul finally make an NBA Finals, um, or B, we would like to see maybe the Clippers finally avenge last year's disappointment and uh, end up having to play either the Bucks or the Hawks in the Finals and maybe get Kawhi his third title. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just going back to Devin Booker. Uh, like Jeff Van Gundy talked about this during the broadcast a, a bit, but... Really emphasizing one play, at least one or two players on your team that can still get to the mid-range is key for playoff basketball, right? Like, no matter what, we always want to talk about, like, you know, the 
the the the Warriors won in their little like streak there with guys like Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson shooting a lot of threes, blah blah blah. KD is one of the best mid range pull up players in the league, like without a doubt, he's one of the best players. That Cleveland Cavaliers team with LeBron, LeBron could get to the cup at any time and realistically developed a nice little mid range game. He's adopted that little like uh, turnaround fadeaway. Like you need to have some sort of mid range game, right? This year you've seen it with the lack of mid-range from Philadelphia just seeing the floor crumble beneath their feet, right? And then in this series, you see Devin Booker, Chris Paul, both guys who can create at the mid-range easily. Paul George, exact same thing, right? Like, at a certain point, you can't just rely on on threes and paint touches because that's what defenses are gunning for. No one's defending the mid-range anymore, so that's where players have to learn to adopt themselves. And sort of bring it back to, I'm not saying, you know, rough and tough it like the mid-2000s were, but bring it back to your game, man. Find the, find the areas that are open on the floor and take advantage of it. It's pretty simple, like, ideologically. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And I think, ultimately, like, you need players that can get into the mid-range and shoot. But I think you need players that can create their own shot without any screens, without any, like, assistance where they can't get trapped or where they can't get doubled. I think that all the teams left in the playoffs have at least one player that who can do it. I think the Bucks obviously are relying on Middleton to provide that for them. And Drew. But in Drew, yeah. Um and you just need someone who can really create a good shot. A good shot being a shot that fifty to sixty percent of the time they can make that shot. And yeah, Booker can easily get there. And the the great thing with Booker is like he can do it from the baseline, he can do it from the key, he can do it really anywhere he wants on the court and uh, he's really able to elevate get a shot off and get a good look at the rim and when playoff basketball happens the windows and those windows for passing for spacing are a bit smaller so uh, that's why it's even more important and then on the other team obviously Paul George is yeah ever since Kawhi went out man Paul George is stepping up like to another level uh I mean the playoff slander has to end right like when you really think back to it Paul George is Literally been injured every playoff run, either with his shoulder, his legs last year. Like, even last year, his mental, I don't want to say toughness, but his, like, his state of mind in the bubble. Like, obviously, he talked about how he wasn't feeling great. He was questioning himself and, like, whatever. Uh, I mean, this year, I mean, he's come out. And as soon as Kawhi went down, Paul George basically turned back to when he was Pacers Paul George. Right? He's creating for everyone on the team. He's handling the rock the most by far. Easily taking the most shots. He's leading again, which is exactly what we needed out of him. And, you know, his quote-unquote MVP year, sure. But, I mean, he's he's showing up. Last game, in game one, he was 10 or 26, had 34 points. You know, I mean, led the, like, actually led the team, which is what they really need right now. Yeah, I, I think Paul George, obviously, like you mentioned, he's... He's playing better. I think the real test is really going to be when his shots aren't falling. And I think historically that's kind of been the knock on Paul George. Um, like I know we talked about this with Trey Young. Like Trey Young wasn't hitting his shots early in Game 7, but he wasn't afraid to take those shots in games uh, at, in the second half. Uh, I think Paul George can get down on himself. And uh, we'll see if it happens this series, if his shots aren't falling if he's going through some adversity in the game, if he's going to really push through and seek the ball or if he's going to shy away. But you know what? 
having a good Paul George is good for the league. He's such a smooth player. Um, he's fun to watch. Again, he's like Devin Booker. Uh, very similar in a lot of respects. And in, in the sense that they can make their own shot. They're smooth. Uh, and their game is very just well uh, diversified. I like that. I've, I've long said this, but Paul George, in my opinion, has like the smoothest game to watch in the league. Like He's not the flashiest. He's not like Kyrie where his, his handles are crazy, crazy tight. He's not, you know, he's not Clay Thompson with like the like the ideal jump shot, but he's so smooth. Like he's like T Mac level smooth from back in the day, right? Like every movement, it's like it just flows. I don't know how else to describe it, but he just flows so well. If you look at like all the skills in the NBA, like your dribbling, your all well, your handles, your your shot creation, your actual shot itself, getting to the rim, the finishing, the dunking, like. Paul George is at like a 9 out of 10 level in almost all of those categories. So that's why it's just so seamless. Like Kyrie's handles might be a 10. Maybe his shot creation might be a little, well, it's amazing too. But his finishing, at the, I don't know what Kyrie's bad at. But um, <laughs> I, I think ultimately the whole point is he's just such a well-rounded player. It's just maybe his confidence goes up and down sometimes. Yeah. I don't know. I hope it stays up. I love Paul George. I've always been a fan and... Uh... You know, it's fun to rag on the guy, you know, at like playoff P. He sort of does it to himself with uh, his talking, calling himself MVP level, even though he was like third in MVP voting that one year. You know, we get it. It's fun. It's fun to make fun of people on the internet, but Paul George is a special player, man. Uh, Who do you like for this series? Who's going to the finals, Raj? I hope I get my uh, Valley jerseys before because you know what? Uh, The Phoenix Suns are going to the uh, NBA playoffs or finals. And I'm not going to guarantee it because we all know what happens with Chuck's guarantees. But um, I think the Suns were going to pull this off. But I think this will actually go the distance. I think this will go seven games. Yeah, I hope it goes seven games. I want it all for this series. Uh, so if the Suns win, well, like, who are you getting? What jersey are you getting? Oh, it's either between Crowder or uh, Devin Booker. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, I like it. I like it. A Jay Crowder jersey would be hilarious. A Jay Crowder or a yeah. Nick Batum jersey. That's what it's oh, come yeah. down to. <laughs> it's a win-win situation. Oh, man, and on I, the east, I like it. And in the East, you got to get a Kevin Herter jersey. Ooh, yeah, red velvet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the um, MLK jerseys. The Atlanta jerseys are best in the MLK. Oof. Yeah, yeah, I'll get that. What about the Bucks though? Who would you do? White Dante. Oh man, <laughs> he's injured. I I don't give him any love right now for that. But uh, honestly, I I would probably have to give it to Drew Holiday if I had to get a jersey because you know what? He's the new he's the new guy in town. And if they make the finals, we know who's the player that pushed them over the top. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, I think this year is going to be a, a Phoenix Suns road to the finals. So Suns in seven. They got the home court advantage. They're going to use it. That's uh, that's what I got. All right, you have anything else for today, or you want to call it here? You want to talk more have, about how bad Ben Simmons is? We have the whole offseason for that. Um, but you know what? I, I'm going to ask one last question. Is Se- Simmons a 76er at the start of next season? That's my question to you. Yes. Yeah, I think so, too. You, you can hear my dog. He also agrees that Ben Simmons will be a 76er at the end. I think he'll get, like, he's got to boost his trade value. And he's already talked about not uh, participating with Team Australia. So 
you know, I think he's going to have to come back to the 76ers, boost his trade value, and then Marty will ship him out mid-season. That's exactly what I was thinking. All right, well, uh, I think we'll end it there, man. We'll, I think in the offseason we can hit like the Kemba trade and all that kind of jazz as later on. So that'll be fun to talk about once everything slows down a bit. So for now, I want to thank everyone for listening. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Leave us those five-star reviews on iTunes. Leave us those comments. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, all the major podcast platforms. We're on Instagram and Twitter at HoopsCornerPod. And until next time, peace.